In the spirit and celebration of the Beijing Summer Olympics, ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals, is happy to present this month's special series, Focus on Sports Medicine. How do Olympic athletes deal with extreme changes in altitude, high humidity, and jet lag? You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to a special segment on sports medicine. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and with me is Dr. Randall Wilbur. Dr. Wilbur is a senior sport physiologist at the United States Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Dr. Wilbur, welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. Thanks, Susan. It's great to be here. Tell us about your reconnaissance missions to Beijing for the upcoming Olympics. The first time I went to Beijing was actually shortly after the end of the Torino Winter Olympic Games in March of 2006. And the objective during my first trip there was to simply get a feel for the city, to look at the various venues and venue locations, to evaluate the status of those venues in terms of the timetable of construction. was also looking at a couple of locations, primarily university settings, where we were considering establishing our Olympic Training Center for the period of the Games. And then my primary goal of my first reconnaissance trip was to evaluate the environmental conditions, especially the air quality in Beijing. We had, of course, read a lot about the air quality in Beijing and my first trip there, as well as subsequent trips. That was a very, very important goal, was to monitor using our own equipment and measurement, quality of the air, and then to report back to my superiors so that we could plan accordingly. What other types of evaluations do you do and how do you do them? The primary evaluations, at least in terms of my position, were environmentally oriented. As I mentioned, the air quality or the air pollution to evaluate the different types of pollutants, also where in the city or out the city, those pollution levels were the worst. Also along those lines was the evaluation in August of 2006 and August of 2007, the heat and humidity conditions, which quite honestly we feel will be the biggest and most important factor that our athletes and coaches need to be prepared for. How do you prepare the athletes to deal with these extreme changes in terms of heat and high humidity? In terms of the, the heat and humidity, we have a, a couple of strategies in place. One is that we pre-acclimatize the athletes to the expected heat and humidity conditions that will be present in August in Beijing. And we can do that here in the United States at the athletes' own training area and something that's been used uh, quite effectively by uh, particularly some of our uh, endurance athletes has been to use a progressively heavier layer of clothing as they go through the summer. And what that does, it applies uh, an artificial heat stress to the body and the body will adapt very similar as if it were or as if the athlete were actually in an actual hot and humid environment like Beijing or Florida. 
So that's one method we've used, not only for Beijing. We used it very successfully prior to Athens, and we will continue to use it throughout the summer with many of our athletes. How hot do you expect it to be during the Olympics? Based on historical data, and these data are, are really over 35 years going back in time uh, in the Beijing area, we can pretty safely predict that the average temperature in Beijing throughout August will be in the mid to upper 80s. However, the real potentially limiting factor in Beijing will be the humidity level, and we can expect humidity levels based on the historical data to be in the upper 70s and into the lower 80s. If you combine those two factors together into a measurement we call the heat index, we would then say or project that it will, quote, unquote, feel like it is in the mid-90s to the upper 90s. So if we combine the projected heat with the projected humidity, it will have the sensation of being in the mid to the upper 90s, and we will prepare accordingly. If you're just joining us, you are listening to a special segment on sports medicine on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and with me is Dr. Randall Wilbur, a senior sport physiologist at the United States Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Dr. Wilbur, what does live high, train low mean? The concept of living high, training low is a very interesting one and was developed about 10 to 12 years ago by two prominent researchers here in the United States, Dr. Benjamin Levine and Dr. James Stray Gunderson. The idea is that an athlete should live high at altitude where they will be under a hypoxic stress, which in turn increases the red blood cell mass to a level that will allow them to compete more effectively once they return to sea level by increasing oxygen-carrying capacity of the blood. On the other hand, the idea of training low is designed to allow the athletes to do particularly high-intensity training at a level that is similar to sea level. So the idea of live high, train low offers the athlete essentially the best of both worlds, living high to increase their red blood cell mass, but also training low where they're able to train very effectively and do not lose some of the leg speed or turnover that one might normally lose if they're forced to train at a level of, let's say, 7,000 to 7,500 feet. You just simply can't run as fast, swim as fast, or bike as fast at altitude as you can at sea level. Dr. Wilbur, for those of us who are not Olympic athletes, what's the best way to deal with a quick altitude change if we're going skiing or into the mountains? There's no quick solution there, unfortunately. There are some things that can be done for athletes going to altitude beforehand, but for recreational athletes who are coming up to ski, for example, one would exercise caution, particularly in the first two or three days. One of the the faults of people coming up to recreate at altitude is they only have a week and they've spent a lot of time and money and effort to come up to Colorado to ski, for example, and they jump off the plane 
They get up in the mountains and they go full bore all out uh, in the first day or two. And that will tend to hurt them in terms of their altitude adjustment and could lead to physical problems that may impair them from enjoying the rest of their vacation. So I think a word of caution, the analogy I use is that if you lived up in Alaska and you were going on a vacation down to Miami Beach, Florida, you would need to take it easy for a couple of days in order to adjust to the heat and humidity. So the same mentality, the same approach, the same strategy needs to be taken if you are coming from Miami, Florida, up to Denver, Colorado, and the high country to ski. You need to to just take it easy, uh, let your body adjust, and then pick up the pace as the week goes on. That's good advice. Thank you. What about jet lag in the athletes? Jet lag is certainly an issue for Olympic team athletes as they travel throughout the world both to Europe and to Asia. So we have worked very diligently on designing protocols to help athletes make those adjustments, not only traveling to a place like Beijing, but then also making the transition back to the United States rather smoothly so that they can get back in their training within a very short and reasonable amount of time. We've devoted a great deal of time and effort toward working with our athletes and coaches in terms of what we recommend they do prior to, during, and after the flight in order to minimize as much as possible any type of jet lag or any of its negative effects on their performance. Can you share any advice in that regard with the audience? Yes. For example, many athletes will travel to various parts of Western Europe. And what we do initially is we ask the athlete and or the coach for the exact flight itinerary. And from that, we're able to help them in terms of particularly what they do on the plane. And the question always becomes, do I sleep or do I stay awake on my flight to, in this case, Western Europe? So once we have that information, we can help them determine whether they should stay awake or they should sleep on that flight into Western Europe, and then what they will do upon arrival in terms of staying awake or maybe taking a little bit of a nap, what they will do during the day. And in general, since most flights leave in the late afternoon or early evening from the United States to Frankfurt or London or Paris, the general recommendation has been for the athletes to sleep during the last 80% of that flight going to Europe. The reason being that will help put them in synchrony with the sleep time of their final destination. Once they arrive in Frankfurt or Paris or London, typically early morning, and we now encourage them push through, stay awake, take advantage of bright light exposure and exercise, which is a very potent readjuster of the body's time clock, And eventually, you know, once they get to where they're living, staying, and training, that they push through and attempt to stay up as long as possible and as close to their normal bedtime. That typically is a very, very good protocol, a very effective protocol for them. And, of course, it's quite a bit different when you're traveling from the United States to Asia. So it's not necessarily one size fits all. And that's why we try to work it out on an individual basis based on the actual flight itinerary. Dr. Wilbur, tell us about your research. My 
published research is primarily in the area of altitude slash hypoxic training for the enhancement of performance in elite athletes. And I've also published a bit in the area of exercise-induced bronchoconstriction in elite athletes. Dr. Wilbur, thank you so much for joining us to discuss how Olympic athletes train for extreme environmental conditions. Thanks again, Susan. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. I'm Susan Dolan. You've been listening to a special segment on sports medicine on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. Please visit our website at ReachMD.com, which features our entire library of on-demand podcasts. Or call us toll-free with your comments and suggestions at 888-MD-XM-157. Thank you for listening. You have been listening to Focus on Sports Medicine, part of this month's special series on ReachMD-XM-157, the channel for medical professionals.